Hi, I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your host, welcoming you to the April 12, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. Well, it's hashtag Black Maternal Health Week. Lots to consider there, my friends. Today, we meet another candidate in our continuing coverage of the California 2022 primary. Diane Harkey is the former mayor of Dana Point, former member of the California Board of Equalization, former state assemblywoman. She will talk about her campaign to challenge the incumbent of the 5th District seat on the Orange County Board of Supervisors, Supervisor Katrina Foley. Voters are reminded the new 5th District includes Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine south of the I-405, Laguna Woods, Elisa Viejo, Laguna Hills, Laguna Niguel, San Juan Capistrano, San Clemente. Wait a minute, didn't, did we say Dana Point? <laughs> and the uh, unincorporated area bounded on the north by Antonio Parkway, also Parkway, Ortega Highway, and on the south by San Diego County Line. Other candidates running for this board of supervisor seat are Kevin Muldoon of the Newport Beach City Council, State Senator Pat Bates, and all of whom they've been invited to appear on the show. Supervisor Foley appeared last week, so the primary could become the general if any candidate clears 50% plus one vote. So that's why listening in to these candidates is oh so important, my listeners. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Thank you for staying tuned all. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Ms. Diane Harkey, who is challenging incumbent supervisor Katrina Foley for the now redistricted fifth seat of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. We are working on everybody's literacy with policy and process because it is a brand new district here. The fifth district includes, I can't say it enough because I think everybody needs to be a part of all this. This includes Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine south of the I-405, Laguna Woods, Elisa Viejo, Laguna Hills, Laguna Niguel, San Clemente, San Juan Capistrano, Dana Point, and unincorporated areas at the south east end of the county, all the way to the, the county line of San Diego. So I want to say, and my standard refrain is, the reach of the Board of Supervisors office extends way, way, way beyond just the district. So sometimes I include even other district races so that we know, we, we ha- we're acquainted with who's running these this powerful board government entity because, as I remember, remind listeners as well, Orange County is the fifth most populous county in the country all, not the state, the country. So let's go back to her, to Ms. Harkey. She served as a member of the California State Board of Equalization, representing the 4th District from 2015 to 19. She's a member of the Republican Party, although the Orange County Board of Supervisors is a nonpartisan post. She was previously elected the Dana Point City Council, 2004 to 8, including a stint as a mayor of Dana Point, 2007. As well, she served three terms. She was elected to the California State Assembly, 2008 to 14. She was a Republican candidate 
for California's 49th Congressional District seat in 2018. I believe we had you on, Ms. Harkey, but I, I was looking for my little notes here from uh, the, the previous time that we were together. So that's why I'm going to be welcoming you back because you have been on before. Uh, uh, in that electoral bid, she lost to Democrat Mike Levin. Ms. Harkey served as a board member of the Ocean Institute and Dana Point 5th Marine Regiment Support Group, a trustee for the Capistrano Valley Symphony, and a member of the Chamber of Commerce. She has, she's, after attending both Saddleback and Orange Coast Colleges, she completed her BA in economics here at UC Irvine. Of the three Republicans running in this otherwise nonpartisan race, Ms. Harkey has amassed the most extensive and influential endorsements from her party, that is, local all the way to national level types of leaders. She comes to us today from her home office in Dana Point. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Diane Harkey. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I always appreciate being on anything associated with UCI. Um, I'm an anteater, as you know. Indeed, <laughs> anyway, indeed. Graduated as an adult. But first thing, I just need to make a slight correction. Oh, there absolutely. No in the 5th District, Lisa Bartlett is termed out. Now, Katrina Foley is running in this district, but she's an incumbent of District 2. She chose not to run for that. So we are all out there, uh, you know, as non-incumbents. Uh, my experience in this district is tremendous, uh, if, as you as you announced, from everything from the legislative area to a tax policy to local government. And um, so I was very honored to be asked to run for this a few years back. I did lose my congressional election. I was outspent 10 to 1. 2018 was not exactly a good year for the Republican side of the aisle in California. So everybody lost. I don't feel bad about that. I, you know, you had to give it a try. But I do think that uh, California and Southern California in particular, Orange County, is a very special place, very special place to live. We have low crime rates. We have very involved citizenry. Our, our people are highly educated. They care a lot about their schools, their children. And um, we have some issues to work on. Well, so with that, I'll toss it back to you. Well, back to me. Well, it's not. It's not. It's only to me. I'm just the host. I'm. Not, it's not about me. But I remember from a board of supervisor meeting during the discussion of the mapping process. The board of supervisor then, at that time, supervisor Foley asked CEO Frank Kim, or the it was the, maybe it was the it was the legal counsel okay, whether let she me, could let me put on. You. I was there. And she asked if she could run as a supervisor, and that was true, but she was not an incumbent. Oh. She was not an incumbent of District 5. She's an incumbent of District 2. So I know that's the big thing, but if she were an incumbent, her staff would be all over here being able to run and continue operations on her behalf. As it is, they cannot. District 2 is her district. So, so that's, I just yes. to let you know that my big issues are, of course, going to be uh, pre preserving our quality of life. You know, we, we have a lot of issues with homelessness here, uh, and especially in this district. The other parts of the county have been a little bit more proactive. We need to take care of it here in, in, southern, in the southern part of the county. And we know what works is the situation. I, I have been out to nonprofits such as Family Assistance Ministries, Illumination Foundation, and others, 
and working collectively with county services, we can make this happen here. There's no, I mean, but even if you're not sympathetic to the need of homeless people, which some people are and some people aren't, it's, it's very cost effective, if nothing else. It's not humanitarian to get people off the streets. Once they're on the streets, it's extremely inexpensive because they get more, they have more illness. There's more treatment problems and other things. So we have some wraparound services and some availability uh, to really make a difference here uh, in Orange County and be sure that people are housed that want to be housed. And uh, so that's one of my that's one of my number one issues. I also want to work really hard on public safety. I think we need to keep Orange County safe. It is kind of a little island uh, right now. People, I'm talking to people every day because I'm walking precincts myself because I want to see who's, who's out there. You know, I mean, I haven't been elected in a while, and I don't have a big staff because I'm not elected. Uh, I have me and volunteers, and so I'm out walking. And people are, are moving here from Los Angeles because it's just different down here. We have a lot more freedom. Uh, we didn't have, you know, an overbearing government during COVID. I think that, you know, our children uh, probably got through the, the school closings and whatnot a lot easier. A lot of, I know, Capo Unified tried to keep things open. Um, you know, so it's very different down here. It's very open, different, and we don't have high crime. And that's not by accident. That's because we elect strong people to to enforce our laws. And the laws are weakening. They're they're loosening, no doubt. And it's very difficult for on um, some of the some of the, what used to be three strikes to, that are not three strikes. And lots of times there's no bail, and um, people are released earlier than they should be. But. The bottom line is Orange County as a whole has done extremely well that way, and I'd like to see it remain. We've got good city council people that are tough on crime or want to be sure their people are, are safe. If, you, if you're not safe, you can't live, work, or play or send your kids to school. So public safety is extremely important. And so I will be putting that at the forefront as well. Well, and yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. Okay, well, so that was uh, that was the interview, ladies and gentlemen. No, Diane Harkey is not going to carry the interview. I have my host responsibilities. I'm not abdicating. So I want to just go right back to where we started with the map issue is that it, that just demonstrates the complexities, the kind of bandwidth that that process takes up in terms of the debates and the policy discussions for what the Board of Supervisors will be poised to do in the next term. So that this is illustrating an excellent point, and I thank you for uh, the correction. It is that her line of work said supervisor, but not come in. And I do remember when you contributed, you were weighing in for the the districts as they were approved, as they exist now. You were, you were supporting that, and I remember your public comment there. So that's I was very much supporting it, as was Katrina. You know, I mean, they were they were reasonable districts. These are very different, and they combine Costa Mesa, Newport, Irvine, uh, with South County, which have totally different transportation needs, totally different water needs, um, you know, and services, and also. North northern parts of this district have their own police and sheriffs where we contract down here with the uh, AOCDS with the uh, sheriffs we we have sheriffs 
that actually operate as our chief of police and provide us with all of the services. So it's a very different district, if only for those reasons. It's also different from, um, you know, the, the I, I, my first, uh, yeah, I moved, to, I moved to Newport Beach when I was 19 years old, and I never looked back. I was from L.A. County, and I loved it there, and I've always worked up there. But I have lived down here because there's just a little more openness, and, and it's more suburban. So, you know, it's it's a very different district, and I think that, you know, we all have, have water quality issues uh, that, we're, that we're, we're focused on. Also, the oil spills off the coast, while I did not... I did not want to shut down anything that was existing. I would say that I did support banning offshore drilling in federal waters, which is where our huge problem is right now, which is not a huge problem. Let me just say that's where we have the most wells. And that happened for Florida, and it didn't happen here. And that's because the people, our two senators, did not have any participation in, in the 2000. I think it was whatever it was that we had the tax reform under the Trump administration. 2017 um, in December. Yeah, we had and, and we, we kind of got hosed in that. <laughs> you know, it's like we lost our salt and we didn't get any protections for our oceans. And so, you know, I think we can work on those things. Uh, but I think that a lot of this, a lot of that will be done at the federal level and getting people involved so that we fight for the things that we need here in California and in Southern California. We lost our salt. There, there is a refrain, and the, just for listeners to not if, who don't know the shorthand, it's the state and local tax that would be considered a deduction on federal income taxes. And we, we yeah, we lost our salt, all right, and we're trying to get yeah, the salt back. Yeah, we did because we had nobody, we had nobody, uh, nobody proselytizing for us or willing to vote. I mean, you know, Marco Rubio got everything he wanted because he was a vote that was needed in the Senate, and our two senators simply did not vote or participate. And so if you're not at the table, you become the meal. And California, in that instance, which does affect a lot of Southern California residents because of our high uh, property values as well as our salaries are higher than most across the nation, simply because there's, it's just you know, the cost of living here is higher and the salaries are higher and everything is higher, we pay more state and local taxes. And uh, thank God for Prop 13 because our state ta- or our our, our our property taxes still remain low, but that's why I was fighting very hard back in D.C. to try to get them to at least exempt the property tax segment. I mean, if, if you say California is high taxed, okay, we are high taxed, but our property taxes relative to other states are really low, and that's one advantage that we need to preserve. Well, there will be on the ballot the discussion of whether the various, which of the congressional delegation in Orange County uh, what, which of them are supporting rolling back that SALT uh, provision that the ones uh, the, in 2017, that was the, the Republican delegation that was representing uh, Orange County in Congress. Part. Yeah, so there was Orange, that. Orange County, Orange the, County, Orange County didn't represent the state. We had, what, how many? We have 55, 54 Congress people, and there were only a handful here. So, and, and only a handful of Republicans in the state, and then we lost all that. So, but they were in not twenty seventeen. The deals, the deals happen in the Senate. You know, you can get things through the House, but the Senate, you need the sixty votes. 
and um, or the you know or the majority and the sixty votes. And Correct. the Senate doesn't doesn't always do what the House wants to, wants them to do. And I don't think any of our House members even spoke really strongly or participate in the budget process. And one thing I learned in Sacramento is if you're not in the process, you are the meal. And so you try to at least be in the process. That doesn't mean you vote for it, but you try very hard to work for your district, your people, what they need. uh, And that's what I intend to do. So before we get into the particular branches of what county government's functions are, I'd like to ask you, Ms. Harkey, since your last elected position in your last campaign, some monumental and social economic plates have shifted beneath us. I want to know what kind of reckonings have you had in your own thinking and in your own priority setting? Uh, reckonings. I don't know if I'd call them reckonings. I think that um, people are, are, are more concerned with their children now than they used to be. Um, and so I think we need, to, and that's probably because of COVID, because of being involved in the schools, their children being out of school. So I think we need to recognize that we're going to have a lot more parental involvement at the board and, uh, you know, speaking for policies and health issues. And so I plan on, on having full, you know, full communication with parents uh, on these types of issues, because although the board has some responsibility to follow the dictates of the state. I do think you have a huge bully pulpit uh, in which to, uh, you know, work within and also to try to make some some reconcil- reconciliation with the state policies that may or may not be, they don't fit. One size fits all is not California. That's one thing I learned in the legislature. There are 80 different districts in the assembly, and they all have a different different take um, you know, and so it's it's very difficult to set a one-size-fits-all policy. And so I will be fighting against that because I think you need to look at the individual uh, individual cities, the emphasis that you have on housing, um, the, the, the particular problems that you may have, and also the climate, the weather. Uh, these things are all really important as to how COVID was, I think, uh, a little bit, little bit less less detrimental uh, to some areas than it was to others. Well, we'll pick up that, but I just want to let listeners know who've just tuned in. My guest is Diane Harkey, former mayor of Dana Point, former member of the California Board of Equalization, former state assemblywoman. She's a candidate for the 5th District seat on the Orange County Board of Supervisors for the June primary, June 7th. And the other candidates running for this position are Kevin Muldoon, City Council Member of Newport Beach, and State Senator Pat Bates, all of whom have extended the invitation to appear on this show. I am waiting to hear back from their representatives or them. So you mentioned COVID, in as, and that's one of those monumental plates that shifted under us. And I, so were there any lessons learned from how our Orange County Board of Supervisor has led? And the pandemic is now endemic as our epidemiologists locally, the the uh, straight-up qualified Andrew Neumer, our local epidemiologist, who's very international. Mm-hmm. But the it's endemic now. But what lessons did we learn about how the Board of Supervisors led through the pandemic? Well, I, th- I think on the whole they did pretty well. I know that there were people upset, but they were working with new information and new 
and, and state mandates. And I do believe, I do believe that as the as the knowledge level increased in the state, and a lot of a lot of the state policy did not change. Orange County tried to be more flexible. I think we came through it pretty well. Our lockdowns were not as long as some of the counties, um, and I think we learned that locking down from this, which we didn't know at the beginning, but we know we cer- we certainly learned after. I felt two months after the lockdown that it was just senseless because it's a virus. It's going to spread. And it seemed to be affecting a certain age cohort, which was the elderly and those with uh, other compromised immunities, and in particular, probably diabetes. And so we kind of knew really early on who was getting really assailed with this. And then we came out with vaccinations. Um, We also have therapies, which I would like to see the county pursue more therapies. We have to be able to access those therapies because right now, as you said, it is endemic. People are going to get sick. The elderly are still going to be more affected as well as those with, with compromised immune systems. So we need to have something to help them as this virus mutates and moves on to different phases. Um, it is a coronavirus. It's changing. And so we, we, it's not going to totally go away. It never will, but we, it will mutate. And we need to have the treatments available for those that get, get severely ill or even ill to help them get through it with minimal, minimal impact. Because most people, most people are asymptomatic that have this. And so, you know, lockdowns, masking, all that stuff really doesn't help much anymore because you don't know who's sick and who's not. And I just was reading something the other day that said that, you know, the temperature gauge, you know, having a fever didn't really tell us much. Now, I don't know if that was verified or if that was just something I read in a periodical, but I do think we know a lot now of what we should not have to go back to, to in order to enable us to lead our, lead a quality of life, to enjoy our lives and to have some freedoms and not have those usurped. Well, when you were talking about it was less detrimental COVID during the pandemic phase, that there were concentrations of essential workers and people that had less access to health care, that they were very, very, very intensely affected by the COVID. So um, I just wanted to um, to mention that so that we're uh, we're aware that it w- Orange County wasn't unscathed. There were some there were concerns, and because we know more about long COVID and other and some people now being reinfected, we're we we're learning about that there are long term effects, and there may be in that same sector the of of workers and the demographic that they may be having to go th- weathering all this without any kind of a health care sort of support. It's That's where we're well, headed. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying is why aren't we getting more into the therapies? There are a lot of therapies that we can in- introduce. And a lot of it has to do with living circumstances, crowding, whatnot. You know, if you can't have a separate space and somebody in your home is sick and you're living together, it's very difficult to keep yourself from getting ill. So I think a lot of it does have to do with different different lifestyles, different associations, also different uh, different feelings. Some people were just 
totally afraid of getting help. Other people were afraid if they got help, they'd die in the hospital. I mean, these were real fears. People were very frightened over this, and I think a lot of them, I mean, tracked. we tracked and traced those that showed up. We have a high vaccine rate, 70%, or I think it's even over 70%. So I think that Orange Countyans and and even in in um, areas that didn't that didn't have quite an access to the service actually did very well. We set up we set up a lot of uh, vaccination sites and a lot of information. So I would like to do the same. I would like to convert a lot of those vaccination sites to therapeutic sites. People are going to get sick. The flu is going to come back. Things are going to happen, and we need to have access for everybody to get. Some treat get treatment for these types of things. So, how did you evaluate the the board of supervisors' leadership on tracking then? Because that that was a big factor going on from the late spring uh, into there was an, a tracking mechanism adopted. So, how how would you evaluate that leadership aspect? Well, I'm I don't I did not I did not track the tracking that closely because I know a lot of people just didn't want to be tracked, um, and I think that was. That was different in different parts of the county, uh, but I think that we—I mean, I think the numbers speak for themselves as far as you know the the uh, people in the hospital, uh, the mortality rates, and others, and also the vaccination rate that we've accomplished. That the county did pretty well. Um, I think it was really hard to track and trace people that don't want to be tracked or traced. I think there was a lot of. Uh, feeling and was actually happening that, you know, your personal freedoms were being impinged upon. And one, one of those things that very important, of course, is your health care. You know, why a lot of people didn't want to submit and be, it's just, you know, I mean, your health care is supposed to be personal. They're HEPA laws that apply to everything else. And this was somehow it swept under the rug and everybody was supposed to know your business. And I, I think that that impacted a lot of people. And so I think on the whole, given the, the differences in the community, I think, I think that the county will continue and has done a fairly representative job uh, given the circumstances and the need that you need to count to three on that, on that board. You have to have three votes to do anything. You can't just automatically decide that you're God in your district. You know, it, 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 requires, it requires the majority of the board. So, um, you know, I, I, I think on the whole they did a good job. I would like to have seen some things, uh, you know, probably improved upon, but I, wasn't, I didn't have the information at the time. I'm glad that we didn't ha- mandate vaccines here yet, and I hope that does not happen. And I'm glad that we did not, at least in South Orange County, ticket for no, no mask wearing. I mean, we've got a lot of problems in public safety, and mask wearing was not one of them. We need to keep the bad guys off the streets, and I think we've done a really good job with that. Before we go into some public safety situation, though, you were talking about there are treatments, and I'm wondering if you could evaluate the way as far as public agency fiscal impact, not to mention the Good Samaritan aspects, that an outlay for prevention is probably less money than treatment, and that when you suggest that there are treatments out there, it does it not assume that that person has a full health care coverage? Uh, well, 
we sure spent a lot of money on vaccines and facilities to set them up. So I don't have a direct relationship but I, uh, with, with what one costs versus the other, but I can tell you where the needs are. Right now they're in therapies. And, uh, you know, so I would be willing to explore that. And I do think you could get a lot of cooperation for the therapies uh, to get, uh, you know, those services provided. So um, I know that we had an abundant supply at one time for monoclonal antibodies, and that went away at the federal level. They decided to allocate those in different areas. I know I have a couple friends that had to pay out of pocket to get that because they couldn't get it in the hospital. Now, that's wrong. If you go to the hospital, you ought to be able to do more and sit out in the tent, you know, with everybody else who's infected and wait your turn while you expire. You know, I mean, there are there are therapies there are things we can do that we did that we can do differently now. And I would be a, a strong advocate for that because I think we've moved on to, like you said, an endemic phase. And it's time that we get on with, uh, you know, antiviral and other things, other types of solutions. Well, I'll leave that there for people to ponder about weighing the the outlay of a cost for preventing something from even well, spreading. Well, let me ask you, what was the outlay of the cost for shutting businesses down? What was the outlay of the cost mentally and in every other case for having kids out of school? Uh, what is the outlay and the cost for, uh, you know, people really doing without and not having jobs to go to? There's a huge cost either way you look at it. There's an economic impact. So do you want to lock everything down and prevent like they're doing in Shanghai? Yeah, you know, they've got nobody. Nobody's dying over there, or very few. Let's see, there's very, very low mortality rate. But they've got 23 million people locked down in very severe lockdowns. Now that is abusive. Well, I, there's, there's no excuse for that. I mean, if this is endemic, we need to move on with our policy. And we have UCI, we have Hogue Hospital, we have uh, all of. I mean, we have the best medical care here, bar none, and the best medical brains. I mean, on the UCI campus alone. So we can do this. We can do this, and we need to start looking, looking towards doing this. We need to start helping people to live their lives with, you know, with care, caution, and, and, you know, and quite honestly with medications that work for them. Well, why don't we, while we're still talking about health, we could talk about Be Well OC. We could stay on the topic. Is what uh, I'd like for you to speak to the prospects of um, re- redirecting some of the carceral system funding to or, uh, or an additional outlay for the Be Well OC so that it would perhaps uh, reduce carceral system costs. Could you talk about what Be Well OC options give the county? Um, well, I am not on the county board, so Be Well OC I am just learning about, but I understand it's been used or they have, there's a lot of options there to combine uh, a multitude of services at the county level uh, along with outside partners to actually, uh, you know, increase health care. And I can't get into too much more detail. I know I've been looking into Be Well OC with regard to homelessness. And so that's kind of been my focus. But, um, you know, I am I am willing I'm willing and able to learn and willing and able to cooperate with anything that helps bring health care and 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 those types of services which we need in the county to to the general public. 
So I, on your newsletter, on your campaign website that I'm going to quote you, that, that you advocate for increasing out-of-the-box thinking with regard to health, both physical and mental, uh, we can do this because we are free to think, create, and share ideas and provide funding to make life better for all. So I'm just wondering right. if that, that Venn diagram is pretty tight circle there as far as uh, where... I have I have very personal experience with mental illness. Mental illness is an extreme, is a my, my kind of my... My personal cause is to work towards helping people that are mentally ill. I have a family member that had late-stage paranoia schizophrenia. Oh, my word. And uh, it was a shock. Happened after the 2008 crash. Lost her job, lost her home, lost her relationship, and totally melted down. It was very, very difficult because it took me five years of working uh, to accumulate any kind of messaging, any kind of emails, any kind of when I was allowed, when she would allow me, I got her into a psychiatrist who periodically she would allow me to speak with. And so I was able to go back and forth, but it was only periodically. And it was very difficult to gather together enough information. She was on her way to the street. Uh, She would have probably been dead by now. Uh, it was it was extremely painful. She was coming in and out of my house, and um, you know, and I loved her, and I was trying to help. But you can't. It's really difficult to help unless they allow you to help because of the HIPAA laws. Now, I was fortunate that I was able to get her fifty one fifty at some point and have her hospitalized, and then knowing what I knew, I I did not want them just to release her, so I pushed for a 5250 to allow me to get more information together and speak to social services because I didn't want to release right back on the streets. We would have been right back there again. I was fortunate that there was no drug or alcohol problems with her. She was very clean that way. Uh, and uh, it was just, it, it was very difficult. Let me put it to you this way. The hospital ended up holding her for a while longer beyond the 5250 while I went and sought conservatorship of her because social services, once they saw my dossier, which was probably three inches thick on all of the reasons why she was a danger to herself or others, um, they allowed me con- to, to seek conservatorship. I had to hire a private attorney. I went through county courts and county council, appeared in court with her at that time, and she was stable. By that point, 20 days or 25 days later, she was stable, and she agreed to the conservatorship. And what that granted me was that if she got off of her medications, I could insist that she take them. And uh, so seven months later, we have a success story. It's, that was 2013, and seven months later, I released her from conservatorship because she was stable and thankful that I saved her life. She was also very thankful that I kept her out of fear. Paranoia, schizophrenia, those people are scared to death. They're scared. They're frightened all the time. And she remembered. She remembered being that frightened. She she remembered what happened to her. And she thanked me. And she continues to thank me years later for saving her life. So I know it's possible. And I just would like to, I would like to get families a little more, a little involved, a little earlier in the process and kind of give them a guideline as to what they need to be doing so that if the time strikes when it's right and they can actually, you know, they can actually 
have some control or have some say, uh, they're prepared. And the social services has a path and that the county courts have a path and others have a path because it's, it's not a lost cause. But they're, they're ill and they need their medication, just like many of us need medication for, for fit other physical problems. It's not, you know, mental illness is not, not unique in this country. And uh, I just, I think that we need to have a better, better or healthier opinion on it and, and a better uh, approach to help families who truly feel like their loved ones are lost. Well, you point out, Ms. Harkey, a very important uh facet here is that if you had personal resources you were that were available to you that you were willing to expend for those that have lesser resources the be well oc may be a kind of a net to catch someone that had the diagnosis that your family member had and they without be well oc they're, they're thinking outside well, she, the, had, she had her own insurance so she was able resources to, right that's still yes yeah, she had her own insurance she was able to get into certain psychiatric help but it was and and she had coverage in the hospital for a short time but she had worked all of her life and she did have insurance and my resources came in to the extent that i had to hire an attorney uh, to help me through the uh, conservatorship process. And quite honestly, I would have hocked my house to do so because it's your loved one. You really need, I mean, you know, it's, and, and I know a lot of people that could probably uh, benefit from, uh, you know, maybe some of the volunteer services because conservatorship is not a hard process. You just need to be, prepare yourself. And so my goal would be to work with families to show them what I was able to accumulate, to sh- tell them how they could accumulate data, because there's still HIPAA laws. You can't just take over someone's life. And um, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a process. It's a process. Nothing happens quickly, but it's a process. And, and I think the thing key to life uh, in dealing with anyone who's mentally ill is to be prepared when and if you get the opportunity to actually present to someone who can help you to help them. Well, you're being very generous with your time. If you still have time, I, I, we have barely touched on the number of topics I want to make sure we covered, and I'm glad I did not have another segment planned. So if you, <laughs> with your time willing, we, we have to go on to housing. And But before we go on to housing, I want to let listeners know you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI. My guest is Diane Harkey, former mayor of Dana Point, former member of the California Board of Equalization and former state assemblywoman in the state assembly. She's candidate for the 5th district seat on the Orange County Board of Supervisors. And other candidates are Supervisor Katrina Foley, Kevin Muldoon from Newport Beach, and State Senator Pat Bates. Everyone has been invited, and so far I have two takers of the five candidates, of the four candidates. So uh, to housing then, there... There's two aspects here. There's the general fair share of housing inside the 5th District. How, to what extent you envision leading in that respect, as well as there is in particular the, the housing of veterans and how much to help the veterans land safely after they've served. So in general, what do you propose to do to commit to the fair share of affordable and emergency housing to in the 5th District? Well, I think 
uh, one of the one we we have a lot of uh, mandates that we need to comply with because of the state. The state has re, has made uh, us rework housing po- policies. Now that didn't necessarily call for a lot of of affordable and affordable even in this market is probably not too affordable. But I do think I do think that uh, you know through a variety of Ensuring the the biggest cost. I, I was in banking and corp, corporate finance for thirty years, and one of my duties was is handling uh, home building nationwide for Bank of America, and uh, I was one of many vice presidents in that in that arena. And so I worked with a lot of this. And one of the biggest costs in California, the the biggest cost is the cost of land. So hence the vertical need to go a little bit vertical because the cost of land includes all of the regulatory process, getting it from dirt to being able to build. And that's very expensive in California, not only because certain land is premium because of its location, but also there's a huge amount of regulatory process that you need to go through in order to be able to build and an approval process. So to the extent in these unincorporated areas, such as um, you know, Rancho Mission Viejo is the next big build out down here. Um, I would try to make it as easy as possible on the from the regulatory side. And the um, the the supervisor in this district will in essence be the mayor of Rancho Mission Viejo, Ladera Ranch, and Coto de Casa, and Las Flores. So you know, you operate. They are unincorporated, so the county is what they turn to for any kind of permitting. So understanding the process is very important, and I do understand that process. And I also have done a lot of work with a lot of big projects in my time. And so the harbor comes into question here. We we need to be sure that that project, quote unquote, runs on time and that it's cost effective. It doesn't go, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's. We've already signed a 66-year lease for the county, so now it's a matter of monitoring that and working with those that that the Dana Point partners to be sure that they are, um, you know, following the terms of the lease and that the county is going to get a an active project that they that they expected. And the airport, the airport uh, is always an issue. The airport also is in this district. So there's a lot of land use and a lot of business decisions that need to be made. And that's kind of my unique capability uh, after in my in my real career. This is an avocation. I just I feel like I I I love the people in this county and I love the people in this district. I think they're just fabulous. And we're I you know, I I just take this as kind of, I, I'd love to be able to serve them, and I hope that I will be chosen to do so. And for the veteran program, that the voucher system is going to be expiring for them in September, and the vouchers are admittedly not very much. I don't know what the units in the Rancho Mission Viejo project build out, um, what they're going to be at, but do you have in your portfolio a, a proposal for supporting the veterans that are residing in Orange County, the, the ones that are really short on the benefits? I have always had that, and I don't have an active program right now. I'll have to research what's available and see what's being done locally here. I mean, there was we, we built a project in San Juan Capistrano uh, when I was in the legislature. We helped to uh, 
get that through. And it was it was for it was for veterans, you know, just exactly what you're saying. And it was right over off of um, off of Camino Capistrano, uh, you know. So I have been involved in those uh, projects, but I don't have any specific plan right now. I think I worked with Saddleback College extensively. They have a really strong veteran program. And so I'll be I'll be looking for any ideas and options that will help get them housed. Just let us know, um, just in closing, how are you going to get people activated to be voting in the primary and to be voting down ticket where your race is? Well, we are running a full court press. We have a a um, a, a I'm I'm actually myself walking precincts we are walking precincts we have a a flyer that indicates that my race is really important and that's done from the party perspective as well as from the local perspective from my campaign so you know i'm walking we're talking we've got an office in south orange county in laguna hills we welcome all people to come by and help us out uh, and we're going to be, you know, having events and different things we have been having and to try to get get out the vote. And I think it's really important in this primary for our DA choices as well as for this county supervisor seat. So I'm going to be working as hard as I can. And I have I I walk and knock almost every afternoon when I'm not when I don't have an event in the evening. And I do walk and knock myself on Saturday and Sundays. So I'm out there, you know. I, I want to get familiar with everybody and all of the all of the uh, different areas. I was up in Newport. I've been in San Clemente. I've been in Dana Point, and I have been where else? A few more places. I just choose a, a precinct and go out and talk to people, and they're pretty representative. Well. So. Thank you. Thank you. You have been generous with your time to stay on a little longer and because we had a lot to cover and there's still a few more policy areas. I thank you for taking the time on behalf of voters and just not just the public hosting. I thank you for running for elective office, which I say to all candidates. Thanks for being well, on thank Ask a Leader. You, thank you for your graciousness. Well, my guest was Diane Harkey, former mayor of Dana Point and former member of the California Board Equalization, former state assemblywoman. She's a candidate for the 5th District seat on the Orange County Board of Supervisors. Being among the candidates, Kevin Muldoon of Newport Beach, Senator Pat Bates, and Supervisor Katrina Foley. That was uh, Israel and Egypt, a wonderful oratorio, and it's a nod to not just Passover coming up, but it's Easter, and it's Ramadan already underway for this last week. So I'm wishing everybody a joyous observation celebration of those holidays together. So I've been wanting to share a really remarkably educational resource I've been spending quite a lot of time on Twitter. It's the hashtag WalterReport. It's even more edifying than CNN hanging in Lviv, Ukraine. 
And I like it because they're very disciplined. They're very focused. They don't post any sorts of news until they verified it. And believe me, with the chemical sorts of attacks that were going on and different levels yesterday, verifying sources was super important because there's a race to be first in a lot of media. So the hashtag Walter report on the Twitter space has been very good. I mean, if you don't have to have a Twitter account, you can just go to your search engine pull up Twitter, hashtag Wild Report, and find out who's hosting at the time. And it's just remarkable the kind of detail in the multidisciplinary coverage. We have military, diplomats, elected officials. We have, oh goodness, psychotherapists and journalists, journalists that are in Ukraine. And this is going 24-7 since the last couple of weeks of February. It's been phenomenal. And for those who are feeling helpless as this rolls out, a network of experienced logistics people and contract and defense security procurement and fundraising folks, they're working with Myriad Aid, Myriad is M-R-I-Y-A-A-I-D.org, and that is a way you can support, It's they call it non-lethal support, to put protective gear on, to do some help with logistics there, and that's one antidote for people who think that they have to lift a hand because an atrocity on our time, it's on us, folks, if we're not addressing that and carrying some responsibility there. So that's going to be my wrap, folks. Next week's show is going to be more primary coverage. And as I'll, I'll re- just say it one more time, for those that are observing Ramadan, celebrating Easter, Passover, I hope for good times with friends and loved ones and that you learn about the others' rituals and stories. It's rich when we do it. Thank you for listening, everyone. Folks, two reminders today. Register to vote and confirm your registration and verify your news sources. Disinformation is so pervasive.